The Paceline is a production of the Cycling Independent, a reader and listener-supported cycling-focused website where every bike is a good bike. And if you ride bikes, you're one of us. Cycling Independent, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, John Emlyn Robot Lewis. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. Um, man, I don't really want to start on a sour note, but uh, I want to acknowledge the passing of uh, one of my favorite people in American cycling, Dick Ring. Uh for those who don't know that name, uh, he was a fixture in New England uh, bike racing. Uh, he would go out to races with his, uh, I believe it was a Volvo, like one of those 240s, and uh, a, a little PA system. And he would set up on so- somewhere on the course, not near the finish line. And he would run his own announcing of the race, which was almost always better than what the actual announcer was doing. Um, uh, he was well loved for his colorful turns of phrase, uh, including Lord loves a duck. Um, and that'll, I believe it was that'll jar your mother's preserves. Uh, and you know, the, one of the things about Dick was he, he knew everybody and he knew everybody's background. Somehow he even knew the backgrounds of riders who like weren't anybody yet. Uh, and then he would give them nicknames like the postman. Um, he was really, really something dude had just the biggest heart. Um, and periodically he'd have preems for riders on, you know, the opposite side of the course from where the start finish was. And, uh, he'd have a sawbuck. And sometimes people like me would wander over and give him an extra few bucks and say, hey, run another preem. Let's miss this race up. <laughs> um, I interviewed him once for Bicycle Guide magazine back in the day. And I think I need to go dig that piece up and uh, shoot a photo of it and post that. Um, yeah. He was a, a really, really lovely individual. And, uh, New England bike racing is just not going to be the same without him. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, sour note over. Um, what are you pulling on today, John? Oh, I'm just going to be sour about some stuff. Um, <laughs> today I want to talk about cardiovascular competitions like bike racing, for example, and think a little bit about where they're going. Um, if you pay attention to these sorts of things, there's a a new advancement in training that may have come across your radar, uh, called CLM or continuous lactate monitoring. That sounds like Um, a party. Yeah. If you've watched, if you've watched training videos for elite athletes, sometimes you'll see, um, someone come over and and prick their earlobe or maybe a fingertip and just take a dab of blood. Mm -hmm. And what they're doing is they're measuring blood lactate. Yeah. 
uh, given the athlete where the athlete is in their training um, to try to get some clues about how basically how fatigued they are. Mm-hmm. So by tracking blood lactate in real time, athletes are able to kind of absolutely optimize their training. There's no more overtraining. There's no more undertraining. Just perfectly prepared racers turned out of a data mold. Oh, joy. Currently, CLMs are banned for in-race use. Um, <laughs> but at that point, this cake is already frosted. You know what I mean? And, and how unlikely do you think it is that someone develops a subcutaneous CLM or other way around these rules? Um, I, I, this just feels to me... I mean, it, for some people, this is going to be innocuous. They're like, oh, it's another training tool. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not just another training tool. And really, th- there's a cumulative thing going on here because we add this to power meters, which mm-hmm. racers use in yep. race, yep. which which tells teams how hard their racers are working. And more importantly, how long they can continue to work before they lose power. And we've already seen teams in the Tour de France, for example, riding calmly at the front at a prescribed power output because they know at that wattage, they'll reel in the breakaway and dominate the stage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Add in blood doping, because why not? Uh, <laughs> and we don't know how or how much riders are still engaging in this little bit of biological subterfuge, but where there's a will, there's a way, right? So we're... so. In total, we're optimizing our training mm-hmm. biochemically. We're monitoring our blood and the chemical traces of fatigue in it in real time. Then we're tracing our power output live to measure against what other riders are doing. And then we're altering blood, maybe only in subtle ways, to make it carry more oxygen. Uh-huh. But wait, you say. There's still <laughs> the, the matter of in-race tactics. Uh, And that's the most important part, right? Cycling's a team sport. But actually, we (laughs) let in race radio years ago, so riders don't really get caught by surprise much anymore. They get live updates of what's happening around them, so mostly they don't have to pay that much attention. Uh, Are tactics still a factor? Yeah, they are. But if you can optimize each rider in advance and monitor monitor them during the race for power output, then tactics become less and less important Mm -hmm. given the pace of technology and the money involved in winning or losing these big races i can only conclude we're heading for a future where a pack of athletes actually convene at a lab instead of a start line each of them has blood drawn and analyzed and then the winners declared uh tv is going to need to work on the lighting and the angles and the pacing of this new narrative but I'm sure we'll just love it. Won't it just be a feed from Zwift? Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. Uh, we've run, we've spun everybody's blood in the centrifuge, and Tade Pogacar has won the Tour de France. <laughs> what? What's the answer? I, I mean, I don't know. There was briefly a pushback on race radios, and that fell by the wayside quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh and that, to me, looked like the low-hanging fruit. The rest of this stuff, the cat's out of the bag. The horse is out of the barn. Pandora's box is open. And I'm not optimi- optimistic bike racing will be good to watch in 10 years' time. Am I just being cynical? Uh, or? Or? 
Or is this just seasonal affective disorder talking? <laughs> <laughs> well, I might be the wrong person to ask because I gave up on pro bike racing for uh, a host of reasons, including some of these that you've outlined. Um, you know, some years back, I wrote a feature about a breakaway that uh, Claudia Claudio Chiapucci undertook in the 1991 or two Tour de France. I'm, I'm a little hazy on that detail right now. It was a suicidal attack. It was the dumbest thing that that rider could possibly do. And he won the stage. Mm. He vaulted himself up the GC uh, and became a real threat to win that tour after, you know, his 1990 second place finish was kind of a, 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 a fluke, a gimme. Um, he happened to get in the right breakaway and he happened to be on APO. And so he ended up finishing <laughs> the, the tour in second place. But otherwise, that shouldn't have happened. But what happened for him that year being vaulted into prominence uh, built in him a really curious confidence so that, you know, very soon he was already racing against other guys on EPO. Uh, I don't, I don't want to call it a level playing field, but he wasn't the only one. Um, and that, that breakaway in 92, 91 or 92. Yeah, maybe 92. Um, it, it was a remarkable piece of racing. It was exciting. Um, and, you know, more and more, we're taking all the hum human elements that make this a real drama out of it. I don't want science. Um, science. Uh, sorry. Apologies to Thomas Dolby. I, you know, I mean, is scientific training warranted and smart? Sure. But at a certain point, oh, my gosh. You know, back when Team Sky would put five guys on the front and nobody else could even manage a, a a breakaway because you know everybody was four beats from their lactate threshold. Ugh. Um. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, I, I'm not mad at anyone in particular about CLM or these other things, but it it is for me killing the humanity of the sport it mm. just ruined and you know sports are stories they're story-based entertainment and this is just ruining the story for me i yeah i have to grant something here um that i can only pull out because i've been in the sport so flipping long that i remember things that most of us would rightly have forgotten by now which is that in the late 1980s, uh, Lon Haldeman and Pete Penziers were racing a tandem in the race across America. Mm -hmm. And there was a team of physiologists riding up to them. I think it was a Ford Econoline van. They'd throw the door open and they'd reach out and one of the guys would hold his finger up. They'd prick the finger. They'd get blood as they were riding down the road. You know, and that, you know, it was... Context is, is worth so much because in that setting, it was like, oh, what is their body doing? We didn't have nearly as many ways to really uh, measure what, you know, what riders were doing out on the race course. And since they weren't, you know, in a, 
pack of 120 guys doing laps in a criterium, yeah, a big Ford Econoline van could drive up and somebody could hold their finger out and they could draw blood. Um, it was a kind of a fascinating, uh, brave new world of, you know, data collection on what an elite cyclist is. Um, I found that fascinating, but this is, this is something other. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's as if we can't help ourselves and I understand why we can't, you know, it's a competition, but it's so abstracted from the competition at this point. This isn't about people on bikes racing each other. This is about like what you do at the beginning of February. Yeah. When, when you're thousands of miles from where the start line is and, and right, this is, I guess, you know, this is why I can't say I'm mad about it. This is what training is. We've been trying to design better training plans forever and ever and ever. And why is this suddenly crossing a line? Uh, and for, for me, I, I mean, I get mm-hmm. it. I get it. At what point, I, you know, we probably blew past the line in the blood doping era no, uh, really? And this is just, yeah, well, you brought it up. You brought up EPO earlier uh, and how everyone was on it at the time. And it occurred to me only recently. So Johan Bruniel, who was uh, director of the U.S. Postal, um, he was sort of the emperor to um, Lance Armstrong's Darth Vader. Um, <laughs> well put, yes. He, he wrote a book called We Might As Well Win. Oh, God, yeah. And it only occurred to me recently that that is a truncated version of the title. The full title is probably, and I bet he knew this, everyone in the Peloton is doping, comma, we might as well win. (laughs) Oh, John, I think you've uttered a profound truth with that. Um, uh Uh-huh. I think yeah. that I, th- I think the, the Bruniel's admission is right there in the title. We might as well win. You are exactly right, sir. You yeah. are exactly right. Um, you know, when 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 doping was all kind of a gentleman's agreement, um, mm. we're not doing this, but we're doing this. Um, I could live with it when I first found out how rife doping was. I, you know, I was shocked to my core naive little Memphis growing up, you know, in the buckle of the Bible belt, me who thought that, you know, cigarette smoking was uh, a sign of moral decay. Um, I, you know, it took me a little while to wrap my head around it, but once I did, it was like, Oh, okay, now I get it. And then it became something very other, you know, once you start tapping other people's phones, it's like, Oh my God. Um, <laughs> And the thing for me is, you know, we Americans love to venerate Greg LeMond's 1989 win in the Tour de France because he really shouldn't have won that one for a whole host of reasons. Mm-hmm. One of the really fascinating things about that year's race was that uh, other than Eddie Plankert, I think there was only one other guy on his team who was worth two quarters and a milkshake. Uh, Most of those guys were barely strong enough to be at that race. I want to say he finished with 
six members of his team. The team was pretty shelled by the end. Um, You might even say he was carrying his team on his way. You know, whereas Mm -hmm. Laurent Fignon had the System U team, which was just powerhouse. Right. Uh, That era's sky without all the science. Um, Back then, racing had a lot of heart. And I, good Lord, I don't want to be Mr. Back in the good old days. Um, But I don't see the heart now the way I did then. And that aspect of the drama is why I've just tuned out. Well, let me let me rearrange what you just said. Okay. I think that at some point, cycling lost track of who its customers were and what they want. Mm, mm, uh-huh. mm-hmm. The customers of pro cycling didn't want to watch blood doped athletes with eating disorders ride exactly how a guy in a car told them to based on what a power meter said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so as the racing has gotten less heart over time it's not about like wishing it was like it was in the olden days we do wish it was like it was in the olden days i mean whatever they were they were drinking and doing every everyone in cycling has always been cheating it's a brutally hard thing and and people do what they can do to make it easier so i i i don't want to get too stuck on the moral thing but i just want to think about this as a function of um uh, business and customer mm-hmm. as a person who buys professional cycling. And I still do. I watch. Um, I'm just not convinced that the, the folks behind the counter know what I want to buy from them <laughs> because when they go away to figure out what they're going to sell me this next year, they keep coming up with the wrong thing or a more wrong thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's getting to the point, it's like the Monty Python cheese shop, where I say, how about some Stilton? Nope. Like, no matter what I seem to ask for, they look under the counter and they don't have it. Right, right, um, right. So, yeah. It's, it, 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 I mean, it does strike me as a dilemma, um, you know? Uh, and add to that the fact that every time there's another doping scandal, the sponsors go, oh man, I don't need to be associated with this. Right. (laughs) So, you know, the problem, um, at some level is that, you know, people see the potential of a lot of dollars and they will do whatever they can get away with to try to secure as many of those dollars as possible. And that's kind of fundamentally human it requires a certain uh departure from from one's moral compass um well it's it's also tragically short-term thinking mm-hmm. right and we're like, good well, at that i mean we are it, good at that we are good at that i mean there's not a lot of people speaking for the long-term health of the sport for the long term of 
anything in humanity, just <laughs> a, as a species. This are, is a cycling podcast, Patrick. Please okay. keep okay. staying <laughs> the lines. <laughs> Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Please continue. <laughs> well, maybe maybe continuous lactate monitors won't be the the thing uh that just ruins it. But I've been I've been reading about them and watching videos about them and I just they just they just bum me out. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh you know, when we start to get those uh surgical implants and whatnot. I, I think there will be in one in there in the first four or five years. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Okay. Uh, well, now that we settled that, we're going to uh, take a very brief break, and then we will be back in a moment. Hi, it's John. I hope you're enjoying the podcast and that you find something you like to read regularly on the Cycling Independent. Increasingly, cycling media is either dominated by clickbait, listicles, banner ads, and cross-marketing campaigns— or it's out of business. We're trying to buck that trend by being a reader and listener supported site. That's where we gain our independence from a model that's just not working very well. So if you can, please consider our $3 subscription. It's a cup of coffee. It's a beer. It's an amount you can part with. There are $5 and $10 subscriptions too. If you're more enthusiastic about what we do or more financially secure, have a look at those. But $3 takes us an awfully long way. The point is, we need your support to keep doing what we do. Thanks for considering it. Okay, we're back with the pace line, the podcast on two wheels. What have you got for us this week? Well, uh, forgive me in advance for what I'm about to do. Uh, Bless me, Father, for I've said. I'm going to talk about Nordic skiing for a bit, (laughs) but I do promise to bring this back around to cycling. They will be continuously uh, monitoring the lactate of Nordic skiers also, but please continue. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Fair. Didn't mean to get my pull on your pull. Go on. (laughs) Um, So last weekend I went skate skiing for the first time in 28 years. Uh, Mm. I actually had to do math to figure that out. I'm sort of shocked that that much time has passed considering how much I loved the sport back when I used to do it like all winter long. Um, because my girlfriend Jennifer lives in Seattle, where things like snow actually happen in the winter, unlike Northern California, or at least my slice of it, I joined her and some of her friends at a Nordic area up near Snoqualmie Pass last Sunday. Mm. Um, this is where I dine on uh, a, a bit of crow here. I'm going to just admit that she had suggested this last winter. And I demurred. Uh, I feared that I no longer had the arm and back strength to capably execute the skating movement. Um, This winter, I got a little bit smarter and I realized just how much I missed this form of skiing. It is by far my favorite. And even if I flailed, uh, which I figured I was destined to do, I wanted to be out there. This is in part due to my belief about what constitutes a good partner. I didn't want to separate her from her friends who were going skiing. Uh, and so the best thing to do is for me to join them. Um, you know, and it's not like they were there to judge me, you know, so I could flail away, flail away and it would be fine. Right. Absolutely. They probably even be encouraging. <sighs> well, as a matter of fact, yeah, yeah, they were all lovely. Um <laughs> So for anyone who's not familiar with freestyle or skate skiing, 
it's different from classic or diagonal skiing in that the legs move in a skating motion. Uh, the poles are notably longer, like 20 centimeters or so. Um, the poles come up basically to your lips. Uh, they're long. Um, it's a big dynamic movement and you can really move on the snow. Uh, obviously not alpine fast, but you know, for flat ground, you can get going pretty good. It's overall, it's much faster than classic. Um, so we rounded up some gear for me more on this in a bit. Um, and then a bunch of us got together at one of her, one of Jennifer's friends homes to wax all our skis the night before we went skiing. Um, and here's where my nerd comes out. I actually think waxing is a lot of fun. That is incredibly nerdy. Uh, yeah. Guilty as charged, sir. Um, when we got out there on Sunday, it took some minutes for me to start getting my balance together again. Uh, mm. which is to say I got both feet clipped in and then promptly fell over. Yep. <laughs> uh, like within 30 seconds. Um, but it did start coming back. Uh, also I found that amaze, amaze. Um, I did have the strength to fully execute a proper skating motion. Um, my skating, that is the leg movement was pretty good. Um, in that I wasn't constantly standing on the tails of my own skis. Um, and my pole plants and the movement of my arms, uh, my completion through to the end of the stroke, man, it was, it was still there. It came right back. Uh, I was amazed. Well, that's not even it. I was shocked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it is the most natural, unnatural movement. I have done it. Um, and I will say that when you're not doing it well, actually, when you're doing it well, it's exhausting. And when you're not doing it well. <laughs> yeah. 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 We were having a conversation when we were waxing and, uh, one of Jennifer's friends, um, set he was talking about how different diagonal and freestyle are um and uh i said well yeah like you know you can do classic at kind of just a walking pace you don't have to get your heart rate going but to even move on skate skis you're four beats under threshold yep yeah uh, it's, it's like running. There's no easy running. You're, you're either in the air briefly or you're not, you know? Right. Um, so all of this is not to try to claim that I wasn't flailing. I flailed plenty. Um, and it turns out the snow where we were, uh, was much softer than the new England boilerplate that my muscle memory conjured. Um, mm. I was having trouble turning my ankles enough to get the skis edges to bite enough to push off. So mm. I was often sliding the skis sideways as I pushed off. Um, yeah. But even this got better over the four hours we were out there. <clears throat> Jennifer's friend where we did the, uh, whose home where we did the waxing, Angela, um, she was skiing away from me with ease when we started. But I'm pleased to say that by the end of the day, I was sort of keeping up with her. Um, mm. You know, she she wasn't just disappearing around the next bend. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there are a few things on my mind with this that I think are worth sharing with, uh, well, our audience. Um, beyond the awesome time I had with a lovely group of people. Um, first, 
cycling will always be my first love activity wise, but it's good and healthy to have alternates, you know, like you have with Alpine skiing, John. Um, mm. And uh, my sore muscles, my left triceps particularly are all the confirmation I need on that. Mm -hmm. uh, sore muscles. Good. Right. Mm -hmm. um, well, not every day, but yeah. <laughs> you want it to subside at a certain point. Yeah, that's I'm, right. Right. I'm now be in a constant state of here. We are back to lactate, but go on. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, next, you know, moving between different sports is healthy for us because every time we go back to an activity, we haven't done it in a while. And we experience that miracle of muscle memory coming back. It imparts a sense of competence expertise even and that's really terrific for our mental well-being <sighs> can't talk again mental well-being um truly by the end of the day i not only had fun i felt better about myself um i'd confronted something i feared and not only was it not a disaster i'd ended the day on a high um mm. I mean, you, you could have poured me into a bathtub. I was destroyed, um, <laughs> but I was happy destroyed. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and now I'm going to say something that anyone who knows me will probably be shocked by. Um, if only I lived in Seattle, I could go skating again this coming weekend. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it is difficult to maintain competence in multiple sports. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and so my, what I have found, I haven't always lived this way, but what I've found is that it's really best to accept incompetence and still do the other thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I yeah. learned to downhill ski when I was, I don't know, 45. And uh, being perched on the bunny slope with all the good skiers, like getting on the lift uh, 20 feet away, mm -hmm. watching, watching me flail, it was really, really painful because my stupid ego told me I should just be good at things because I should just be good at things. Right. And everything in my being was like, stop, stop doing this because you're bad at it, <laughs> which is, which is like the curse of age, right? When you're, when you're nine years old, you're like, yeah, of course I'm bad at it. I just started. <laughs> but you know, it's funny how you set two simultaneous traps for yourself. Mm. You know, one, mm. I need to just quit now. The other is I ought to be awesome. Yes. You know, there's not the the uh, seemingly obvious, but obviously not uh, answer of. Well, here's I am, uh, you know, I let's go learn this thing. Yeah, I, I actually think the best approach for me, the best mentality for me isn't let's go learn this thing. Let's get good at it or to be embarrassed or to be whatever my best mentality is it's only my job to observe what happens here. 
you're treating yourself as a, a, a member of your personal audience. Yeah, I'm just okay. like, you know, I wonder if I'm going to be able to get off the lift. I don't I guess we'll see oh. um, what's going to happen next. I don't know. It'll be interesting to find out, won't it? So I'm just I'm just there to observe. I'm not there to get all because striving for me is also a trap. Yes, yes, yes. Uh huh. Yeah. In, with the things that I'm good at. A little bit of striving is good, is good and healthy. Mm -hmm. But again, my ego wants me to skip right to the end of every process. <laughs> like just practice so hard or just try so hard or just concentrate so hard that you make that you manifest your own expertise at a thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's insanity. Yeah. You know, that reminds me, and I actually talked about this on Sunday. So you know, years and years ago, I was not only an enthusiastic skate skier. Um, I was a PSIA level two skating instructor. Um, right. And so I spent, you know, three winters uh, teaching the hell out of skating. Mm. And every now and then there would be a school group that would come through and I'd get recruited to go out on classic skis, you know, with a bunch of nine year olds. Um, and invariably, one of those kids was terrified. And for me, I always liked taking the worst, most frightened skiers and, you know, just like, give me these four kids. You go off with the rest. I'll take care of them. And the first thing I would say to them before anything else happened, you know, any, any, you know, pointing the, the, you know, making an A and, uh, you know, snow plowing and all that before any of that stuff, I'd tell them, you know, look, all we have to do is have fun. Okay. Mm. That's all I'm here to do. We're on snow. You're not in school. All we have to do is have a good time. We don't have to do anything else. And if at some point you're frightened, we're not going to do the thing that you're frightened of. We're just going to have fun. Mm. And I, I remain immensely proud of the progress I made with kids. Um, and every now and then an adult, because <laughs> there was occasionally a teacher who was like, wow. Um, right. And you know, I'm fond of saying in my everyday life, you know, we will know more soon. Yeah. So, uh, I, I'm not sure I, I'm not going to brag or something that, you know, I adopted that, but I figured, Oh, you know, how bad can this be? I'm going to go out and have some fun. Um, yeah. I'm going to be that with my partner right and friends. Yeah. <laughs> Absolute right move. Yeah. And it, it turns out it was even more right than I could possibly have guessed. Mm -hmm. um, you know, my worst fears didn't come to pass. I, I, it wasn't, you know, I wasn't making an, an amazing performance, but I got better. Um, sure. And I can't wait to get out there again. And, you know, next time I'm back on a bike, uh, there will be that, you know, oh, yeah, this is a different movement. And I... You know, that switching between different sports as the seasons progress, that was something that served me well in the past. And I'm sort of sorry that I'm not doing that to the degree I used to. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's key. I think it's key. In fact, tomorrow's um, TCI Friday will address that a little bit. Ooh. But um, yeah. Yeah. It's hard to stay open. The older you get, the more set in your ways, the more you think you know what you need to do. Um, but sometimes you got to get on the pogo stick, you know, that's just, 
this is what you have to do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, mm -hmm. yeah, I'll be back up there soon and hopefully the snow will still be awesome and fun. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm excited. Make plans. Yeah. Alrighty. Uh, how about some paceline picks? Sure. Uh, so my pick today is the Swerve Soft Shell Regular Trousers. Um, these are micro fleece lined riding pants for cold weather. Ooh. They are really warm. Um, they have some stretch, so they're good for all kinds of vigorous activities. They're highly water resistant. If you're into fat biking or winter mountain biking of any sort, they're good. But also hiking or grocery shopping, if that's what you're into. <laughs> These are good for all those things. I'm I'm actually, if I read the marketing copy of one more apparel maker that says, great for the trail or the office, I'm going to vomit in my own mouth. <laughs> um, but these these are really good for that. They're, they're pretty handsome pants, I got to say. Hmm. Um, Swerve is also a, a cool little company. The name is stylized. It's S-W-R-V-E, Swerve. <laughs> Um, they're based in LA. They used to make all their stuff there in their workshop, but now they've grown and they do work with offshore factories, all of which are RAP, W-R-A-P certified, which is the garment industry standard for humane and ethical practices. Mm. So they care. They care about stuff. Um, they do still make their black label, uh, items in LA, if that's important to you. Um, I have had a few things from Swerve, all of them good. The shorts are fantastic. Uh, they've also been around for quite a while by industry standards. I, I get the sense they're a well-run business, and I've heard they're even nice people, you yeah. know, for whatever that's worth. The softshell trousers come in black, spice, and dark gray. The spice is a, a brown color like you would associate with work pants. That's like, sort of like... Like a Carhartty sort of... yeah. Mm -hmm. I've heard it named cumin. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that conjures a certain sort of color. Okay. Yeah. All right. Dark camel, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> um, so th these pants are 150 bucks, which is really good for a technical fleece-lined pant. Um, uh, well, yeah. 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 And, and they are worth it. They are lights out. Um, they're one of those, like, put them on. Now you're not cold. Get on with your day. Huh. As always, we'll have a link in the show notes, but um, I got a pair from my local bike shop last winter, and I ended up wearing them for an array of activities. I, they're sounding really attractive to a guy who's planning on going and spending time in snow. Yeah. Yeah. Think, think I don't, about I it. don't know if I'd skate in them, but at least for, you know, getting to, you know, the ski area and all that, they, they sound kind of <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I think if if the snow is is packed and you're not kicking s snow up, they're a good. I would skate in them. They're they're good like that. Cool. All righty. Um, well, my pick uh, for anyone who lives in an appropriately wintry place, uh, not to put down Hawaii or anything, um, and might want to go try skate skiing. Uh, my pick is less a particular product than a bit of advice. Um, the single most important piece of gear in skate skiing, or honestly any skiing for that matter, is your set of boots. They need to fit well. 
And while most beginner to immediate intermediate skiers don't need custom orthotics to have a good time, a boot that fits well is important because it goes to the heart of control. Um, our listeners probably recall that I have wide feet, potatoes, I often call them. Back in the 1990s, Solomon boots were the go-to for wide feet. And I am pleased to report they still are because I had to take a chance there. <laughs> An mm. overly tight boot will squeeze the blood out of your feet and they'll get terribly cold. Plus, you can't fit a thick sock in there to try to keep that foot warm. Um, on the other hand, people with narrow feet uh, have their own concerns because a boot that's too big will make controlling the skis difficult. So people with narrower feet would do well to start with Rossignol boots. Uh, the Italians, man, they have some narrow feet. Um, either that or they just like the look. I don't know. Um, but Rossi boots have traditionally run um, uh, about one letter width narrower than most other boots. Whereas the Solomon's route one letter in wider. In the trail running space, Solomon is known for narrower shoes. Huh. Wow. Um, okay. Um, go figure. I don't know if it's a wow, but it's just information. Yeah. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, hey, that's a wrap on another episode of the Pace Line. We would love to hear your thoughts on anything we talked about today in the comments uh, on the Cycling Independent. And hey, why not put a plus one in there if you're a skate skier? How about that? Yeah. 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 Or if you're doing continuous blood lactate monitoring. Sure. Tell um, us what your maybe that's um, a minus one. Well, your mega mole millimoles per mm -hmm. liter. I don't know what the measure yeah. is, but put it in there. Yeah. Um, and when you stop by, hey, consider subscribing. Um, we did have some problems with our subscriptions recently, and we have now fixed those with the help of a very smart coder. Um, she's a lovely, uh, lovely, hardworking person. Uh, so she saved our butts. Um, but yeah, when you're there, we have three, five and $10 options, as well as a tip jar for those who just want to do a one and done. Your dollars do go directly into this podcast, as well as our other productions like Revolting and our freelance contributors uh, like John Rizal, Johnny Raz. Johnny Raz. Um, All righty. Um, yeah, we do need your help to keep doing what we do. Thank you. Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with John Lewis. Thanks for listening to The Pace Line.